0: Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy.
1: Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday football
0: podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am extremely excited to be joined by special guest this evening, Mike Tagliere of Fantasy
2: Pros. Mike, thank you for joining the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. No, thanks for having me on, Paul. I, I know when we had you on our podcast. It was a lot of fun. So I look forward to talking some football with you. Absolutely. So the NFL draft now, it's been a couple of weeks in the rearview mirror, but still
0: so much to digest. I know here at Saturday, Sunday, we've been putting out lots of podcasts, talking rankings, talking landing spots. So I figured it'd be a great opportunity to get some other experts in the industry on to kind of pick their brain just to kind of see what they're thinking. So let's get right into it. And just we'll start right at the quarterback position. Not a lot to discuss there. What do you make of, do you see any of these guys besides Kyler Murray potentially having a fantasy impact in year one? And even Kyler Murray, what kind of impact do you think that could be for for Kyler Murray year one? Or do you think all of these quarterbacks, it's more long-term dynasty value going forward?
2: No, I actually think Kyler Murray. The value you're gonna, the value you're gonna get out of Kyler Murray is right away. I, I think that's going to happen in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Not a lot of people not, not a lot of teams know what to expect out of it, but we do know it's going to be a bit fast paced. We knew we we know they added some wide receivers, but they still have a shoddy offensive line. So it's not like David Johnson's going to run for you know fifteen hundred yards behind that offensive line. That's not going to happen. Uh, and they're going to run a lot of plays. We know it's a fast paced offense. So we're looking for Kyler Murray basically to just get volume that year one. I have my concerns about Kyler Murray as a player. I don't think that he's someone that was deserving of the number one overall pick. I understand why teams do this, uh, but I don't think he was deserving. I think that there's a, he's more of a see it, then throw it, uh, type of quarterback, not an anticipate. He doesn't have much anticipation, uh, when he throws the ball. And that's always concerning. Uh, but in regards to his fantasy appeal, I I think it's like a Lamar Jackson situation where it's like, I think you're going to get a little less rushing out of him, but you'll you'll get a little more passing, but I'm expecting similar numbers to what Lamar Jackson did towards the end of 2018. Uh, So it kind of like that borderline QB one, I think I did my initial rankings and have him as QB 15. I could see the case to be made for him as a QB 12, right around that range. So, but he's someone that I think that, will eventually i don't want to say he's going to fizzle out of the league because you're the number one overall pick you're going to get every opportunity to succeed but i think this is when you're going to get i I think he's going to walk into the production you're going to get out of him almost immediately whereas everybody else it's like Dwayne haskins i like him long term as a quarterback but he's really not going to be sexy as a fantasy option because he offers absolutely nothing uh, on the ground despite what Stephen a smith would say um (laughs) Daniel Jones offers a little bit in the ground in college. He did. I don't think he's going to be that type of quarterback in the NFL. So unfortunately those guys are just like, you know, they're, they're more like a third round picks in rookie drafts. Like if you're in a dynasty draft, uh, Kyler Murray, I would take, you know, middle of the second round in a, in a standard rookie draft. If, if you really need a quarterback, I guess you could say the top of the second round, but I'm not too, too excited about any of these guys, but yeah. Um, in year one, Kyler Murray should have some appeal in redraft leagues.
0: Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I do think Tyler Murray, you know, he's got that cheat code. We've seen, we've seen Tim Tebow put up QB1 stats. We've seen Lamar Jackson. So right there, the running component, I think is the big factor. And he's a better passer, at least in those two guys we're talking about. So I do think you're right. He has that immediate, you know, potential quarterback one value, uh, in terms of being a top 12 guy and the other guys. You're right. I think we're, we're, they're all long-term projections. I mean, Dwayne Haskins is not really surrounded by a very good team in Washington right now. Like, like you mentioned, he doesn't have that running component. So he's the guy who's going to have to win from the pocket and that, you know, it needs a lot of volume at times, you know, and, and efficiency and production to be fantasy viable. Daniel Jones, while he has some of that, you know, running capabilities, again, Giants, you know, are, are going to build their offense, probably around Saquon Barkley, it sure seems like. So, you know, is he viable down the line? So there's really not a lot to, I think, get excited about in terms of the quarterback, so we won't spend too much more time there. Is there any other quarterback that you would say in a deep dynasty league, or maybe, you know, that you would say, you know what, if I have a deep roster, if I have a spot on the taxi squad, this guy intrigues me, whether it's Jared Stidham in New England or Wilger in Carolina, Ryan Finley in Cincinnati, anybody else lingering out there from this draft class at the quarterback position that piques your interest a little?
2: Yes, yeah, Stidham would have been the guy. Uh, you mentioned him and like, you know, Tom Brady's eventually going to retire. I, I know we want to believe that he's Superman. and He's never going to retire, but it's going to happen. He's going to decline at some point. Losing Gronkowski doesn't help, uh, but going to play for Bill Belichick, you know, if Belichick doesn't retire when Brady does, or if he doesn't go elsewhere, whatever happens there, if Bill Belichick's there, it's going to remain a competent football team. And I think Jared Stidham would walk in and be somebody that you, you would actually value in Dynasty and obviously them drafting him last year. I don't think they're just going to throw away draft picks on on someone that they feel like offers nothing as a potential backup to Tom Brady so I like him but the one thing I wanted to ask you about Paul is that I just pulled it up because I wanted to find out the exact number are you a little concerned about Kyler Murray's prop uh, for his rushing yards in the season so when this I heard someone say it and I, I wanted to look for myself because I didn't believe it but I just pulled it up and his prop bet is 435 that's the over under for rushing yards for Kyler Murray which That seems awfully low, (laughs) doesn't it? Yeah, it
0: really does seem awfully low. I mean, you're talking about, you know, if he just gets, you know, 30 yards a week, if he played the whole 16 games, you know, which is obviously injuries, you know, could could stem into that, but you're talking about 30 yards a week. Yeah. It's is, you know it's 480 yards rushing and that seems really low. I mean, listen, I don't think he's going to run like Lamar Jackson, but what if he has one game where he rushes for 150 yep. or 160? That's not at a realm of possibility. He can he's got the capability to break a 60 yarder or a 70 yarder. That seems really low. I'm not someone who usually even follows you know some of those prop things, but, but but that seems that seems if that's all he's running, if Vegas thinks that's all he's running, that's definitely curtailing some fantasy value.
2: Yeah, there's a licensed site. You know, I, I'm not trying to get free promotion or anything, but I'm just saying that, that, that bet's out there. If you want to make that bet, you can do it. Um so it, it was just something interesting to me because I typically don't pay attention to props either. But uh when I heard that, I was kind of like, is that real? Like I didn't want to tell anybody until I looked it up, and I did. And that it seems is. like
0: that seems like they might be either thinking that he's not going to start from day one which I think he is or they yeah. might be you know they might be building some injury risk in there it, it seems like a really low number and one guy I didn't he didn't come up in the first discussion Drew Locke were, were you a fan pre-draft are, are you? do you like the Denver landing spot do you think he's going to get on the field by the end of this year or is he going to have to wait a whole year behind Flacco
2: he's probably going to have to wait I mean Vic Fangio is not a young guy he's not going to like jump to the younger quarterback I think he's going to take his time I think there's a reason they went uh with with Flacco I think that they felt like they're probably gonna they might address the quarterback position still next year I think it's possible because they passed on Drew Locke quite a bit you know they traded back and everybody's like wow I mean if Drew Locke falls to them back when they traded back with the Steelers at 20 it's like can they take him there they passed on him again and being they got him in the second round it's it's relatively cheap so you can carry a couple quarterbacks Joe Flacco just said today that he's not mentoring uh, <laughs> Drew Locke and Locke to me was more of like a Cutler type prospect where it was like you know do I think that there's potential there? Sure. He's got a strong arm, really, really strong arm, but he makes a lot of boneheaded decisions. Like, and he just, I just don't know if he has it upstairs. He did have four years starting in college. So it's not like maybe he's just lacking experience, you know, like someone like Kyler Murray, like a Mitch Trubisky where those guys just need some more experience, but he's had experience. He's a four year starter. So to me, Locke is like, I don't think he landed in the ideal situation for him to succeed. um, And I just feel like this is a team that's not fully committed to him. Uh, I think that they're, they might try him towards the like if, if for whatever reason they're out of the playoff race and they, they might throw him in there the last couple games of the season, but I don't think he's going to offer anything fantasy wise.
0: Yeah, I think your point there about them. I've I mentioned it once or twice on my pods as well about them passing on him. It's really going unnoticed. Listen, we could have a whole 40 minute podcast on the Giants and Daniel Jones pick and we won't go there, but it. You know, and I don't agree with the Daniel Jones pick as a a fan of the Giants, but at least we can say they had conviction that they didn't even want to risk him being there at 17 with the strong likelihood he was going to be there. Denver not only traded down from ten to twenty and didn't take them, they just let them sit out there. They didn't even trade back up in the second round to like aggressively be like, I know they had those back to back picks, but like they passed on multiple times, so they were totally okay with being like, yeah, if we get them, we get them. If we don't get them, you know, no big deal. So clearly, that doesn't send the strong message like you were saying that they're all in that they think this guy's their franchise. Because if you do that, you take him at ten. If you and if not, you definitely take him at twenty. If you just couldn't pass up the value. So really interesting to follow that closely. And I kind of agree with you. He's probably going to sit behind Flacco most of this year. So let's transition this to the running backs and and let's just, there's obviously groups here in tiers. It's a, to me in the, in the fantasy world, it's the clear top three running rookie running backs. And then I think there's a little bit of a cliff dive before we even start bringing up a whole bunch of other potential names. So Josh Jacobs, Oakland, Miles Sanders, Philadelphia, David Montgomery, Chicago, how are you kind of making sense of those three rookies in terms of maybe immediate production versus long-term dynasty value? Do you have a, a clear preference between those? trio?
2: Yeah, it depends on what you're looking for, right? Like I think Jacobs and Montgomery are the clear one and two for me. And it really depends on what you want. I think Montgomery's the safest pick. I, I think that he's the one that if you're like looking for production, you're like, I just want a running back that's gonna last a long time and I, I just know he's gonna have a job. I think Montgomery's the guy. Uh he he landed in a high scoring offense. Matt Nagy's not going anywhere. That Bears offense, they're young, they're getting they're going to get better. But you don't get the upside with Montgomery that you would with someone like Jacobs because Montgomery, he can catch passes out of the backfield, but that's not his forte. He's he's a grinder. He's he's going to break tackles. He's going to be handled he's going to be doing first and second down work, mixed in on passing downs because the Bears didn't want to be predictable with Jordan Howard. Tariq Cohen is still going to be involved. So for them to draft like a three down back, somebody that you, like a Saquon Barkley that you don't want to take off the field wouldn't have made too much sense because essentially you're going to eliminate Tariq Cohen from the offense and you don't want to do that. So David Montgomery, you know, think about Jordan Howard last year. He was disappointing, but he finished as the number 20 running back in PPR formats in the first year under Matt Nagy, not catching many passes because it is a higher scoring offense. And if Trubisky continues to evolve with the offense, you know, in year two, people forget about the Bears offense and the fact that. Everyone was brand new last year for Trubisky. You know, like Alan Robinson came there from the Jags. You had Trey Burton coming in from Philly. You had Taylor Gabriel coming from Atlanta. Anthony Miller was drafted. Everyone there was new. They had a new piece, James Daniels, on the offensive line. So the continuity in learning a new offense is hard enough as it is, let alone learning the speed of all the players that you're working with. So I think the Bears offense can take a step forward this year. And I think David Montgomery is a much better running back than Jordan Howard is. Uh, so I think he's safe. Now, if you're looking for the upside play, you're looking for someone that could potentially be a top five fantasy running back. Josh Jacobs is the guy, but the issue is that he landed in Oakland. It's good because he's going to get the opportunity. We look for opportunity with running backs, but the issue is that it's not considered to be a high scoring offense. You know, they're not going to go from last year, the way that they looked all of a sudden because they land Antonio Brown and Josh Jacobs, that they're going to be a top five scoring offense. That's not going to happen overnight. You need a, a creative offensive coordinator to do that. And they don't have that. But Josh Jacobs. There's question marks with him. You know, he was in a three way timeshare at Alabama. There's a reason that you know when we talk about running backs in today's NFL and we talk about their backups. Remember when people were saying that Toby Gerhart averaged more yards per carry than Adrian Peterson? I'm like, could we could we stop comparing backups to quarters? <laughs> like they come in the game in different packages. They come in the game fresh when everybody else is worn down. Like it just it, it's it's a bad argument. And yet people are ignoring this with Josh Jacobs. Like he actually did average less yards per carry than Damian Harris did at Alabama. He, he never topped hundred touches in a year. Like I, 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 there's, there's serious concerns with Josh Jacobs because he was always fresh. He was part of a three-way timeshare. It wasn't even two-way. It was three-way timeshare. And we don't know if he can handle, you know, 18 to 22 touches per game. Like some of these running backs can like a David Montgomery, but there are flashes of elite stuff that he can do in the passing game too. He's a true three down back. And then you get down to miles Sanders and Sanders. I like him as a running back. And I was made to feel on our podcast. It was weird, right? So when I, so basically during the NFL season, I don't watch any college. Cause I'm like, you know, I have a family that I have to actually, I have to at least <laughs> spend an hour a night with my family. So I hang out with them at night. I do not watch college on Saturday. Cause my wife would kill me. So what happens when the NFL ends, I, I sit down and I literally grind tape for the next few months, and I remember watching Miles Sanders and thinking to myself, I put him as my number three running back, and I liked him a lot. I actually had him higher than Josh Jacobs initially, and I ended up changing that. But I liked him a lot. And then we had someone on our podcast—I can't remember who it was—but I asked him about Miles Sanders. He goes, "Well, he's he's fine. You know, he might be drafted." And then the combine happened, but but he made me feel like I was too high on Miles Sanders. I like Miles Sanders a lot. Like I think he's a three-down back. He's got some fumbling issues, but. Landing in Philadelphia has me concerned. And it's not because it's a bad offense. It's a good offense. We know that Doug Peterson runs a, a tight ship. They're a good offense. But the problem is they traded for Jordan Howard. And granted, it was only a six-round pick, but whatever. They still traded for a running back. Um, the only running back to ever play forty more than 43 snaps for Doug Peterson is Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles is a utility knife. Like, you don't compare other players to Darren Sproles. He's more of like that guy that can do it all. And that's why he's on the field all the time. So, you know, they still have Josh Adams. They still have Wendell Smallwood, Corey Clement. These guys, they don't mean much to me, but the concern to me is that it's more of a time-shared backfield. And I think that Jordan Howard is going to get some of that first and second down work. He's probably going to get some goal line work because Jordan Howard is good in those situations. You know, he scored nine rushing touchdowns last year in an offense that he didn't really fit in. And it's still, it's the same offense, you know, essentially going from Nagy to Peterson. Uh, But Sanders, it's more of like, I'm worried about his upside there. I just don't think that the snaps are going to be there regularly. And when I say that 43 snap mark, the elite running backs in the NFL, like the guys that you you want on your fantasy teams is RB1 or potential RB1s, those guys are playing 50 to 60 snaps per game every single week. And to know that Miles Sanders might not even get there once, that's concerning.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you did a great job there kind of laying out. I think I do agree with you. I think Montgomery's the safest, and I do like the fact that I always take note of when teams aggressively make a trade up and move up for running backs. And the Bears did that for Montgomery. They didn't have a lot of draft capital, you know, so I do think that says a lot about what their plans are for Montgomery. I'm not under the impression that it's going to really reduce Tariq Cohen's touches. I think there's, I think there's a world for both of them, you know, to be fantasy viable. Uh, but I do think he's the safe guy. Like if you want to make sure you have a guy who's a solid, you know, high to mid RB2, I think that's probably going to be David Montgomery. I agree with you on Josh Jacobs having the most ups- upside in those and those flashes but we got to see him do it consistently and over a longer period of time in a offense that's not going to be a juggernaut like he was playing with at Alabama. Sanders is the interesting one, and, I, and I think it's it's kind of ironic you brought up Uh, your first guest that you had on, because I was someone that was very high on Miles Sanders as well. Obviously here we're studying these guys, you know, for a while, because, you know, that's more our bread and butter. And Sanders was a guy that was in my he was my number three, two on film alone, only behind, uh, Josh Jacobs and, uh, Rodney Anderson. And then I, I remember hearing that show that you, that you're, that you're referencing. And I was like, wow, I was like, not even maybe drafted. And I was like, I was like, wow, I'm really off on this guy. I was like, if, if it's, if he's barely draftable. And then he went to the combine, and he kind of blew up and it was more like, okay, this guy's a top hundred guy, which is what I kind of saw him at. Yeah. yeah. The whole Eagles thing is going to be fascinating because. It's, it's the question of, have they been such a committee because that's what Doug Peterson is kind of thought he had to be? Or is that what he wants to be? And I think that's what we're going to find out a lot about his philosophy, I think, is did he just not think the Corey Clements, the JJIs, you know, pick anyone there. Did he not think any of them were capable of being, you know, bell cow guys? Or is it just that? He doesn't want to believe that he wants to spread it out. I think that's going to go a long way in determining does Miles Sanders have you know RB1 potential or high RB2 potential, or is he more low RB2, you know, RB3? I think it's going to be a lot dictated by what Doug Peterson kind of thinks there. So that's that's going to be interesting to kind of see if we hear any whispers, you know, in the training camp and the mini camps about what their maybe plans are at that running back position. After that, do you kind of agree that there's a big cliff dive with the next tier, provided Todd Gurley's healthy, obviously that's a major, major X factor, or Darrell Henderson would be very much in this mix at the top here. But in that next group of guys, Henderson, Singletary, Hill, Harris, to me is the next clear group before I think there's another big drop. Uh, Some people have Madison up there, you know, I'm not as sold on him. Is there anybody from that group that, that excites you? Is it Henderson because of the girly unknown? Do you think, I don't personally think Singletary's the answer long-term in Buffalo. I think next year there's a very strong likelihood. They kind of invest in a, in a better resource. I think he's a replaceable guy. Hill intrigues me a little bit as a compliment there to Mark Gingram. And then Damian Harris, you know, I'm not sure what to make of that with Sony Michelle being drafted there year one. I mean, last yeah. year.
2: Yeah. I just, I actually, it's funny because like a lot of my rookie drafts are coming up, but I had one this weekend and um, I, I didn't have a pick in the first round. I had traded it away for something. I don't remember what, but I was picking, I think it was at number 17 or 18 and I needed a running back in this league. And I was just kind of looking at the landscape and I got to the decision where it literally fell where we're talking about this tier of running backs. And I came down to Damian Harris, uh, Daryl Henderson, I think went the pick before, but Uh, him justice hill uh guys like singletary those were the guys available i ended up going with damian will uh uh, damian harris and the reason i went with harris is just because i feel like you want to attach yourself to to situations where a guy has potential to be a top 12 running back like that's ideally what you're looking for because all these guys in this territory they're almost like handcuffs like they're guys who are one injury away from having fantasy relevance and if they do have that fantasy relevance how good are they going to be And when, when the Patriots drafted Harris, I was like, I I was at the draft in Nashville. And I, I remember seeing on the board that pick and I was like, I like, I like Harris actually a lot. I think he's like a Mark Ingram style runner where he's just, he's going to get what you block for him. He'll get a little bit more. He's a competent receiver, good pass blocker. Uh, Like I I like Harris. I think he's a solid running back, but I, I felt like the way that they use Sony Michelle is the exact same type of player that Harris is. And I was like, okay, that's odd. But maybe they're concerned with Sonny Michel's health. Maybe his knee thing, maybe that's that's a real thing, and they, they're continually worried about that, and they know that they're going to have to run the ball. So I felt like Damian Harris offered me the most upside as a handcuff. Now, as for Daryl Henderson... I remember this time last year, people were talking about John Kelly in this way, you know, saying that John Kelly was the handcuff to Todd Gurley, and if Gurley went down, that all of a sudden he's the guy. Now I know that Kelly was, I think, a fifth or a sixth round pick, and you know they traded up to get Henderson in the third, so there's a difference there. Yeah, but people always wanted that handcuff, and I think we still do. the The Rams matched an offer sheet on Malcolm Brown. Uh, the Lions tried signing him. And they matched uh, the offer sheet, so it showed that they really did want to handcuff Gurley. I, I don't know if if Brown starts in the depth chart ahead of Daryl Henderson because they're completely different running backs. Um, Henderson, to me, is like that that hopeful, like like you know you're hoping that he that he walks into that role. I'm confident that Damian Harris would walk in if something happened to Sony Michelle. I am confident, like 100, percent that Harris would walk in. He's pro ready. He can play. And but whereas Daryl Henderson, I am I'm not completely positively 100% sold that he would just take the job away from Malcolm Brown I'm really I I know they traded up for him but that's my concern with him
0: yeah I mean I think it's a viable concern I don't think they look at either one of them probably as the clear replacement if Gurley's unable to play maybe they looked at you know Malcolm Brown maybe they looked at Darrell Henderson and combined they can kind of give us all of not at the level of a a healthy, you know, Todd Gurley, but maybe combined, they can give us the different facets of what Todd Gurley can bring to the offense in different ways so that we want both of them. But I think you're right. I think Damian Harris from that group, he, I had him rated on pre-draft, you know, pre-draft just on film, Damien Harris w- was the most talented of this group that we're talking about, in my opinion. And I thought he kind of went under the radar a little bit because the emergence of Josh Jacobs. If Josh Jacobs never happened, if Josh Jacobs, you know, went back to college, if he didn't kind of, you know, explode on late in, in, in this season, I think Damien Harris would have gotten a lot more excitement and publicity in terms of, of notoriety because I think he just kind of went a little bit under the radar because of Josh Jacobs. So I'm right there with you. I do think Damian Harris would have a big role if Sonny Michelle got injured, if he if something acted up with that knee, uh, and he would attach himself to it. He, obviously, a great coach, great offense right now, and quarterback, you know, until Brady retires. So I, I could see that. I think that whole... I I could kind of understand anybody's philosophy in ranking those four guys that I mentioned in any order. You know, Baltimore is going to run so much. Maybe Justice Hill gets a lot of work, even as the the backup or second guy. You know, Singletary has a shot to be the starter. At, you know, if once McCoy and and those guys leave, so I could understand anybody ranking those guys in any which way. It's kind of like pick your choice, and and kind of I think you can make a solid argument. You know, in any way, so. Anything else at the running back? Is there one or two other guys that even remotely intrigue you? Obviously, Alexander Madison has the most draft capital as a third-round pick. I didn't really see that as his as where he should have went off the board. Raquel Armstead behind Leonard Fournette in that situation. Benny Snell behind James Conner. Dexter Williams behind the guys in Green Bay. The Bengals guys, Travion Williams and Ronnie Anderson behind Joe Mixon. Is there one or two names from the rest of the draft class at the running back position that intrigues you?
2: Yeah, it was like I was saying. Like you, you look at it. You, you say if someone, if the starter got injured, what what do these guys walk into? What's their talent level? Rodney Anderson's the guy. Um, you know, I know that they drafted um, Travion Williams in front of him, and it was odd. I, I don't know why they drafted both running backs. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, Joe Mixon's had a couple injury issues his first couple of years. Maybe they're worried about that. It's kind of like a Patriot situation. You know, under the new head coach, there we don't know if they're going to just. They they want to they want to have the run game solidified. Giovanni Bernard's going to be gone after this year. So Travion Williams could potentially be the Giovanni Bernard replacement. And then you have Rodney Anderson kind of backing up Joe Mixon. So I think that Rodney Anderson is a guy that I compared his play style to that of Arian Foster. Uh, That's the type of player that I think he is. And it's funny because Foster was uh, a guy that dealt with injuries his entire career and, you know, would have been considered one of the game's best. Had he stayed healthy for a longer time, he just struggled to do that. Anderson, obviously dealing with injuries. If it wasn't for injuries, I think Rodney Anderson would have been a second, maybe third round pick, and you know we'd be talking about him in a different light. But you know, knowing a team took a chance on him in the sixth round, yes, he fell because of those injuries. And you know, but he's a guy that it's like you're taking very little risk to pick him in the sixth round, and knowing the upside that you have, I would have preferred a team like the Chiefs take him because I I just felt like if it doesn't work out, uh, you know like mixing and matching the running backs that they're doing. Does Damian Williams hold up to a full workload? We don't know those questions. And I felt like Rodney Anderson could at least be a high upside player that they can get in the later rounds. Unfortunately, he fell behind Joe Mixon and Mixon's a very talented guy. Uh, So, but Rodney Anderson is the one with the most talent. Um, Rykel Armstead behind uh, Leonard Fournette. I think that was an interesting landing spot just because it's like that's a team that wants to run the ball. I don't think Nick Foles is going to turn you into a pass first offense. It's not. That offensive line has been completely rebuilt. Uh, people talk about Fournette like he's bad or he's not. Um, but Fournette, you know, the, at the end of the year is what people remember. You know, everything that's happened recently, that's what people want to remember. People don't know that Jacksonville's offensive line was down four of five starting offensive linemen towards the end of 2018, which is why you started seeing that, you know, the running back struggle, including Fournette. So, Armstead, if something happened to Fournette, you know, injury-wise, suspension-wise, whatever the hell is going on with him. Like, Fournette is very talented, but he mentally hasn't been all there. Um, but if he, if he comes off the field, I think Armstead immediately jumps over Alfred Blue, who's been just a mediocre player his entire career, and you know, behind one of the better offensive lines in football now, which is quite odd to say.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm right there with you. Ronnie Anderson was my number two back pre draft on film. I think he definitely would have been a second round pick if, you know, he didn't have the litany of injuries that he's had in his past. Yeah. Let's go to tight end real quick with one or two quick questions, and then we'll round it out with wide receivers for tonight. A lot of discussion in the fantasy community in the dynasty setting between Hawkinson and Fant. Where do you kind of fall on that? Is it one you think's more immediate production, but maybe the other one's
2: more long term upside? Do you have a preference
0: between the two right now?
2: It's really tough. I mean, I was looking at like some impact rookies, like who would make an impact in year one. Like you never want to rely on tight ends earlier in their career, but both these guys are walking into situations where they're going to have to be used immediately. Uh, you have Cortland Sutton as the number one receiver in Denver. He's not a possession. He's not the guy that you're going to throw 140 targets to. So the tight end is going to get targets. And on top of that, Joe Flacco and the Ravens. So Flacco, if you follow his career, he has not targeted the tight end position fewer than 107 times since way back in like 2010. Uh, so he's always targeting tight ends. That's a very, and people think it's based on offense. Yes, that has something to do with it, but quarterbacks have tendencies and Joe Flacco loves his tight ends. Uh, and he's not, and it's not like Joe Flacco has had the most talented tight ends over the course of his career either. So you can't even blame it on that. So I think Fant is walking into a situation where it's like, he could play like a, he could play like a Travis Kelsey type role. I don't think he's going to have that in his rookie season, but I, I think that he is he has a quarterback that's going to target his tight end a little bit more than maybe Hawkinson. Hawkinson is going to start from day one. I know they signed Jesse James and they're, they're going to mix and match. They're going to play two tight end sets since golden Tate left. That's going to clear some targets up over the middle of the field, uh, you know, for Hawkinson. But when you get in the red zone, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones are two of the better players in that area of the field. So he's going to be competing with them, you know, for the touchdowns. So, tight end is such a hit or miss position. And I really, I can make the argument for Fant or Hawkinson. Um, If if forced to choose, I guess I go with Hawkinson just because they, they used a top 10 pick on him. He's going to stay on the field because he can block pretty well. Um, But I think Fant, if someone told me they wanted to take Fant over him, I wouldn't sit there and argue with him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really flipping a coin. It's, you know, the elite athleticism of Fant, but a little bit rawness in terms of rat running and rat refinement. Mm -hmm. Hawkinson, could be get more playing time, but could be asked to block more. So it it really is a coin flip. And I know I, I've got a record. If the Vikings trade uh, Kyle Rudolph or cut him, I think Irv Smith might be the most productive in year one. Maybe he doesn't have as much upside, but I think he's the most ready in terms of route running and route refinement. So he intrigues me a lot. Any quick thoughts either on Irv Smith or that next tier seem to be the, the only other fantasy viable guys in like a deep dynasty setting? Is there one or two out of the Jay Sternberger, Dawson Knox, Gahal Waring, or Josh Oliver that kind of intrigue you?
2: Yeah, I had Irv Smith and Jay Sternberger right next to each other. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is, is built on trust. So you're not going to see that immediately with Sternberger. I told people that with Graham last year, um, with Martellus Bennett the year before, it's continually people just think that people are going to walk in with Aaron Rodgers and produce in year one. It just doesn't happen. Like look at Devontae Adams. He was terrible to start his career. Rodgers is such a timing-based quarterback, and he learns his wide receivers. The longer they play with him, the better they're going to be. And to know that Sternberger was drafted so high by the Packers, he's going to be tied to Rodgers. So I actually wouldn't have an issue taking Sternberger over Irv Smith if you wanted to, just because, you know, you look at that Vikings offense and... I mean, Dalvin Cook's there, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. Like, there's, a, there's 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 some big names there, you know, that he's going to have to compete with. Whereas Devontae Adams is really the only one that we know is locked into a role with the Packers. So um, I think Sternberger and Irv Smith belong in that, you know, that second round conversation. Like, if you're looking for a tight end and you don't want to pay, you know, that first round price tag of a Hawkins and Irv fan.
0: Yeah, I, I think, I think you're spot on there. I, I do think Sternberger, very intriguing. A lot of upside there, uh, to go in the mix as well. Obviously attached to Aaron Rodgers. So let's bring this to the wide receivers to kind of close out. And I remember pre draft saying the wide receiver rankings pre draft were all over the place. There was no, you know, uniformity whatsoever. If you looked at somebody's top tens, you know, you, there was nothing that looked closely resembling someone else's top 10. I don't think that much has changed post-draft. <laughs> you know, you you look at people's rankings, and I'm talking like really reputable people from the Evan Silvas, you know, to Ryan McDowell's, to people at CBS, ESPN, and you guys all over the place. Everybody's dynasty, you know, rookie rankings at the wide receivers looks completely different. Yep. You know, where... I'm not even going to run through the names because we know the names we're talking about. Harry and Samuel and Harmon and AJ and Metcalf and all these guys. Mm -hmm. What do you kind of make sense with this? Do you have your favorites? Like, is there guys that if you were doing a dynasty rookie draft and you needed a wide receiver in round one, these are the few names that you would be most looking to get? Or is it really just kind of played a value game and, and wait it out?
2: You know, I ended up moving Nikhil Harry up in my rankings. I wasn't a huge fan pre-draft uh, about Nikhil Harry. He he did land in a better spot, but let's play devil's advocate for a second, right? Wide receivers very rarely, it, it does happen, but rarely, so, like they, they rarely produce like elite numbers in their first year in the league, right? You know, it, it usually takes some time for wide receivers to develop. And, you know, I've talked about Harry and the fact that he couldn't separate at Arizona States, so which makes, what does it make us feel like he's going to be able to separate in the NFL? Granted, Rob Gronkowski retired. That's going to clear up some targets there. And on top of that, they need a red zone threat. They need someone who Tom Brady could throw the ball up to in a contested catch situation and win. Nikhil Harry is that guy. But if Nikhil Harry, let's say that he takes a year or two to develop, right? You're no longer with Tom Brady. And then it's like, what quarterback is he going to? You know, did Jared Stidham work out? Did Did he not work out? He's going to be with a rookie quarterback. All of a sudden, do you think that they're going to be producing a top 15 wide receiver? I don't know. I think that there's some serious questions about Nikhil Harry. And this is why I would, if I have that, you know, number three pick, because I'm, I'm gonna the top two, I'm gonna take running backs. The third pick is where I have Harry, but I'd prefer to trade back. Um, because I think that you can go back to guys like DK Metcalf. And, you know, as much as people want to dog on Metcalf, he's a different breed of receiver. And I think that he forces a team to, to respect what he does. Like, think about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Can you stop DK Metcalf one-on-one? Like, it's really tough for you to do that as a DB because, you know, if you're pressing him, he has the strength and the speed to get over the top of you. I don't care who you are. He can beat you over the top. He has hands, you know, on a, on a deep ball. He now plays with an elite quarterback in Russell Wilson. They just lost Doug Baldwin. You know, David Moore is not someone that you're really worried about. Tyler Lockett's a smaller guy. Again, he's another guy that's not going to be fit for 120 targets in an offense. That's not who Tyler Lockett is. So, and then like, you know, with, with Metcalf, if you want to play off coverage, then you're going to almost give him a cushion in what he lacks route running, right? So if you're going to give him a cushion off the line of scrimmage, he can run a slant. It doesn't even matter if he runs it well, you're giving him that cushion. So he forces a defense to change the way that they play. So I like Metcalf. I I, I think the landing spot with Russell Wilson, I'm not too worried that he fell into the second round. It was surprising. Yes. But I would prefer to trade back to move. I don't think the downgrade from Harry to Metcalf is very significant. And some people are surprised that I have Marquise Brown still up there in the wide receiver rankings. Uh, and the reason I do is because I'll run through the other names real quick. Paris Campbell, love the player, love the landing spot from a football situation, but he might be fourth or fifth in line for targets. Like, think about it. T.Y. Hilton, Devin Funches on a year contract, whatever, that's fine. But he's still a veteran. He's still a red zone presence. Eric Ebron, Jack Doyle, Naheem Hines, Marlon Mack. All those guys are are fighting for targets. I don't know if Paris Campbell walks into more than 65, 70 targets. That's concerning. Long-term, I like him. Uh, AJ Brown. Oh, my God. Just ask any Corey Davis owner, any Corey Davis dynasty owner, how it feels to own a Titans wide receiver. No, you moved down my board because you landed with that team. I love AJ Brown. He was my top receiver pre-draft. Hate the landing spot with a passion, and you don't know they're gonna. They're probably gonna move on from Marcus Mariota, but you don't know who is coming into that spot. The Titans aren't a bad enough team where they're going to have a pick in the top five, so they would have to trade to get there. There's a lot of things going on with the Titans. I don't love that situation. Mikal Hardman, a lot of people like that. He landed with KC. I like that he landed with KC. He moved up my board, but I'm not gonna put him in my top five dynasty players. Like he's he's not Tyreek Hill. Just stop. Um, Hakeem Butler fell. Fell, felt like he felt they took Andy Isabella before they took him. I like Butler's upside, but there's still some serious question marks. So going back to Marquise Brown, the reason I have him ahead of those guys is because we know Marquise Brown's the best receiver on his team. There is literally no doubt in my mind that he is the best receiver in Baltimore. Yes, when Lamar Jackson took over, they they threw the ball like 22 times per game. That's a problem. However, the Baltimore defense just lost a lot of talent. Like there's a lot of talent missing from that Baltimore defense and they didn't really do too much to replace it. I, I don't think Baltimore is a dominant defense anymore. And I think that they're going to be forced to throw, to keep in, to keep themselves in some games now, which is going to raise the pass attempts. Marquise Brown coming off the injury that he did, the list Frank injury. I I don't love him this year. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of receivers struggle coming off foot surgeries in the same calendar year. So I am worried about him in that aspect. But when you talk about these other receivers, it's going to take more than a year for me to like those guys very much. So if you want to say Paris Campbell over Marquise Brown, okay, that, those, those guys are close for me. But A.J. Brown, I'm a Corey Davis dynasty owner. And just trust me when I tell you, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I think I'm right there with you even on the Kill Harry. He's my number one wide receiver, but I don't feel good about it. Not not in the least bit. And you were talking about what might come next. I even think the case with, I don't even know if his best production is going to come with Tom Brady because Brady's so much got to be in sync with his wide receivers. And it's all about he loves the... Julian Edelman types and throw into the running backs. And is he going to push the ball down the field and, and give Nikhil Harry those 50 50 balls that he won at times, you know, bully ball style at Arizona State? Probably not. That's not really Tom Brady's game anymore. So I, I have a lot of questions. And, you know, I think after Nikhil Harry, you can kind of mix it up in five, six, seven names could be somewhere between two and eight. You didn't even mention the guy I have in number two. I like Debo Samuel, the player. He was number five pre-draft for me. And I love the landing spot, you know, him and and Dante Pettis a little bit redundant, but I think, you know, they're kind of inside outside guys. I, I worry that they might draft a big outside X receiver next year to, or in free agency to dominate it. But I I'm kind of betting on situation there a little bit, but I, I, there's a lot of question marks with that too. And some people have Debo Samuel as an early second round dynasty rookie pick. There's so much uncertainty. In the whole wide receiver situation, really hard to kind of peg it. So people are going to pick their favorites and go with it. So you have Marquise Brown. I'm 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 not as high as you, but I'm not nearly as low as some people. He's at number five or six for me right now. So I, I'm still a fan of him and think he should go in in the in the part in round one. Other people don't. So it, it's so fascinating this class. Is there anyone from the next tier that intrigues you between Arcega-Whiteside, Deontay Johnson? Terry McLaurin, Miles Boykin, and the Isabella. Is there one or two names from that group that, that maybe peak sp- sp- your interest in late round two or mid round two?
2: Yeah, I have I have Samuel right there right after Butler. So it he would have been the next one that I would have mentioned. And the thing is, Samuel, I just feel like the upside's limited, like best case scenario. Like, do I think he's better than Dante Pettis? I don't know if I'd even save it. I don't know if I'd say that, but I felt like he was a Jarvis Landry type player. And I think that's the ceiling that you could aim for with Debo Samuel, but I don't think he gets the targets that Jarvis Landry's gotten throughout his career. So I lowered him. Uh, he's more of a safe player where it's like Butler is more of like a, an upside play. Like if you're looking for someone that could potentially turn into a top twenty guy butler's there but our Whiteside is very interesting um i feel like they drafted alshon jeffrey's replacement but he's on the team for a few more years unless they cut him i don't know if that's happening I, I i know that they needed some depth but you don't really draft wide receiver depth as a guy that you never plan on playing uh you know as high as they did with white side our white side so i like him um he's a red zone monster jalen hurd is like the sleeper for me um he's the guy that I liked pre-draft. I talked about him as like a potential sleeper that can go on day three. The 49ers felt like he was worth more than that. And my, my, my thing for him was that I felt like he could be Corderell Patterson of 2019, where the NFL, when Corderell Patterson came into the league, I don't think that they were ready for him. I don't think that they were ready for the type of the versatility that he offered on the football field. And I don't think that coordinators were as, you know, they, they didn't adapt as well as they do today, where it's like now you're, you're seeing guys used all over the field. And I'm really hoping that Kyle Shanahan, I do believe that he can. He is one of those guys that will adapt and, and find a way to use someone like Jalen Hurd, who who was a dominant running back. You know, it's six foot five, which is just crazy. Um, But, you know, somebody that that turned to wide receiver his senior year and almost put up a thousand yards. It's like it's kind of crazy to just know that the guy is uber talented. He's no sure thing. That's that, you know. Not many guys in this draft class are, but if you're looking for upside, you know, late in the second round, early in the third round of your rookie drafts, that's where he's going to go for me. And I know some people won't take him until like the end of the third, but I'd be willing to take him at the end of the second. If you're looking for an upside wide receiver over, like I would take Jalen Hurd over someone like a Terry McLaurin or a Miles Boykin. Those guys don't interest me very much. So I would rather take someone like Jalen Hurd. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think Hurt is a big wild card and really intriguing uh, player, and, and kind of see what Kyle Shannon has plans for him. And if he ever starts using him as a short yardage goal line runner, you know, for fantasy, that can be, you know, a jackpot of stealing some touchdowns there as well, in addition to his receiving capabilities. Mike, one last name because you're close there in Chicago. Did, what is the the feel for there in terms of Riley Ridley? Did the Bears look at him as just good value? Do they think he was maybe a top one hundred player who fell and they got him in round four? Because I know I was I, I liked him pre draft. Some people hated him. Some people liked them. You know, big media seemed to think he was still a day two guy. Is there anything from being closer to the to the situation out there uh, in terms of what the Bears might? think of Riley Ridley did they think they stole him in round four they kind of think he added to the mix
2: yeah they viewed him as a value pick uh wide receiver depth for them was a need it really was you know they lost Kevin White he obviously never panned out for them and you know uh Josh Bellamy I think was gone this offseason so they lost some of the wide receiver depth so they needed some guys down the depth chart and we saw last year with guys like Allen Robinson he he was coming back from an ACL tear you know he's dealt with some injuries throughout his career that's obviously a problem um you know you have Anthony Miller who was dealing with he had a foot most people don't know that Anthony Miller had foot surgery, uh, you know, before he was drafted. So that's why his rookie season I didn't expect so much out of him. But I think he's an explosive player. Um, you know, he had shoulder injuries that he was dealing with throughout the season. So if the Bears need to rely on someone, I feel like Riley Ridley is more of like an Allen Robinson insurance. That's that's kind of how I feel about him because I like looking at it. He's not even my favorite receiver that I would own on the Bears. Like I would rather own Emmanuel Hall, uh, even though Emmanuel Hall went undrafted. He's the player that I want because he apparently dropped due to some medical red flags. Um, But if he's healthy, like this kid reminded me of Mike Wallace, like hands down, like watching film, like he was one of the most easiest comparisons that I could have came up with. Like, I think he made Drew Locke look a lot better at times. And, you know, sometimes we look at those quarterbacks like, oh, he made his receivers look good. Emmanuel Hall does very subtle things in his routes that are just, they're so veteran. Like, you know, I talked about it in his rookie profile that I wrote up. I I liked him a lot. And to see him go undrafted was really shocking, but it was, I was really happy to hear that literally like 10 minutes after the draft ended, the Bears had, he was one of the first guys who signed uh, and the Bears got him. And I think that he's their Taylor Gabriel backup. Whereas if something happens to Taylor Gabriel, he walks in and people don't realize that Taylor Gabriel had over 90 targets last year. Like, he's a big part of this offense. And, you know, Taylor Gabriel can be cut this offseason. The Bears would only take like a, a $1 or a $2 million cap hit. So if Emmanuel Hall surprises like and, and, you know, works out well, like I think he will in the offseason programs and everything like that and his medical, you know, that he is okay medically. I think Emmanuel Hall is one of the best sleepers to land in your dynasty draft because people are staying away from him after he went undrafted. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, he shouldn't fall in rookie drafts because of that but people legitimately won't draft him until the fourth round. I think that's a mistake. I would rather take the upside of someone like that much earlier, especially knowing that he's tied to you know, someone like Matt Nagy, who's who's going to run one of the better offenses in the NFL for quite some time.
0: Yeah, I love Emmanuel Hall. I know he was in my top 12, I think, in pre-draft, and I knew the Giants, uh, as my hometown team, were going to be targeting a vertical threat, and I was hoping he was going to be the guy. Uh, they took Darius Slayton, who's intriguing also, but Hall was – the guy that i would i would have loved to see them gamble on in round five but it does sound like there's some issues that caused him to drop so mike this was absolutely a blast i thank you so much for coming on greatly appreciate it always fun talking uh with you football please let the audience know i'm sure a lot most of them are following you but let them know your twitter handle and what you
2: guys are working on the fantasy pros on the podcast anything you want to promote I appreciate it, Paul. And thanks for having me on. I always like to talk football when I have the time to do it. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mike Taglier NFL. All my work that I do is on fantasypros.com. You know, the podcast, we just went to two episodes a week. Uh, That's the Fantasy Pros Football podcast. And then, you know, in season, if you guys don't follow, if you guys haven't followed me before, uh, I write this thing called The Primer, which is uh, that's my heart and soul. Like, that's everything that I have, I put into every week. So basically, uh, when I started writing about fantasy football, it was because I wanted to. You know, not, not just give rankings, but I wanted to tell people why they should be playing a player. So I took that to new extreme. So I basically write a paragraph on every player from every game. Yeah, it's like 30,000 words a week. So if you're you have questions about DFS or your season long league or whatever it might be, I promise I talk about them in the primer. So check it out.
0: Guys, that primer is absolutely amazing. I know as I've gotten more busy in real life, I don't have time to read many articles anymore. I mostly listen to podcasts to get my source of fancy football information, but there are three articles a week during the football season that I read religiously and, and Mike's primer is one of those three. It is absolutely full of information that you need to be reading. So make sure you check it out. So there it is guys on behalf of Mike, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.